Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, living God, almighty and ever-loving Father, creator and sustainer of the world, we worship you. We bow to you. Lord Jesus Christ, word made flesh, friend of sinners, master of molecules, savior of the world, we worship you. We bow to you. Holy Spirit, gift of God, comforter, counselor, teacher, leader, sanctifier of the people of God, we worship you. We bow to you. We thank you for the great privilege it is to gather together to seek you and to turn our hearts to hear your counsel, your wisdom, your revelation for us. And so once again, as we step into this season of Advent, would you take our hands and our hearts and lead us to yourself, Lord. Amen. Apex, if you didn't see the slide, get out of here. Grade six, seven, eight. Enjoy your time. You got your own special thing. Sorry, I didn't say it before. If anyone's still slipping in, there are some seats over there. Some seats in the middle where kids have exited and over there as well. Um, Well, as has already been acknowledged this morning, right at the get-go with Sue's uh, leading us in prayer and lighting a candle. Today marks not just the first Sunday in December, but the first Sunday in Advent. And despite all the loud pronouncements of the world around us and maybe ourselves, that this is the Christmas season, and I see your Starbucks mug there with the Christmas. That's good. I love it. The church, for most of history, has not regarded this as the Christmas season. And I say this every year, and I always will. This is not, according to the church, down through history, the Christmas season. This is the season of Advent. A season that prepares us for Christmas, yes, but even more so, Advent prepares us for Jesus. For Jesus coming and his kingdom, for his presence, his reign, and his shalom. It reminds us and calls us back to what God has done, which is what the Christmas play is all about, telling us the stories and more. But it doesn't just remind us of what God has done, it points us towards what God is doing and wants to do, will still do, in Jesus, in his coming. And this morning, in a way, I'm not, although I will sound preacherly, I would not regard this as an exposition of a primary text, but as an aim to be your host, welcoming you into, if not maybe introducing you to the gift of Advent, because we need it. We need Advent more than we need the Christmas season. And to that end, I want to call to mind a song that we sang about 15 minutes ago, which I didn't know we were going to sing today. I, Simon, where are you? Yeah. Did you add, is he worthy last minute, or was that always the plan? 
huh, I looked at the order of service and I did not see it. And that song is very much at the heart today for me. We sang it, Is He Worthy? A song written by Andrew Peterson. If you've never looked him up, he's one of my favorite songwriters. Went all the way to Nashville once to hear him sing. Wonderful Christian singer-songwriter. And this song has been picked up by many. Um, Chris Tomlin has sung it and made more money than Andrew Peterson probably off of it. Uh, Shane and Shane, Keith and Kristen Getty, Maverick City, um, Chan Chandler Moore, many others have, have sung it, recorded it, put it out, which is great because it's a song that the church needs. And it's this call and response, right? Um, and I'll just read the first two verses for us. We already sang it, so I'm just reminding us. Do you feel the world is broken? And we respond, oh yes, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. That last line of the second verse is the line that I think is the most helpful invitation, introduction to why we need Advent. This season that invites us to remember and celebrate the promise and the purposes of God for the world, which includes us. But also this season that invites us to give voice to the ache for the world ache for God's coming into the world, an ache for, for God's redemption in our world, an ache for God's renewal in the world and in us. That this remembrance and this ache, which in Advent invites us into, would fuel in us an eager hope for the fulfillment of God's promises in our world, in our day and years to come. Do we feel the world is broken? Heck yeah. <laughs> Do we feel the shadows deepen? Oh, man, we do. Do we know that all the dark will stop the light from getting through? I don't know if we always feel that. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. It is. We must. We need these reminders. Because if we're honest, we are so prone to forget. And I say this as much for myself as probably for any of you. There's something in all of us that so easily loses track of the bigger picture. So easily, so often we end up absorbed, if not completely absorbed, in the joy or the sorrow or the possibilities or the monotony or the struggle of our own story and especially what is going on in this moment in the story. And we forget the big picture the big story in which our stories find their place. And we end up believing and living as though this is all there is, all that ever was, all there ever will be. And God knows this. God knows this about us. I love that God gets us. The God of Genesis, the God of Exodus, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ knows this about us. And so in God's wise love, as we read the stories of Scripture, Old Testament through the New, we find God calling us 
to embrace rhythms of remembrance, to participate, to enter into seasons of remembrance, not just high and holy days like Christmas and Easter and Cyber Monday, but seasons like Advent and Christmas, which is liturgically not just a day, but a season, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Ascension, Pentecost, and Ordinary Time, which many refer to as the liturgical calendar. And I know as I say this, some of you are going, hmm, really? Aren't we a Bible church? Feels a bit weird. Some might say, a little bit. This is like religious, traditions of man. Doesn't sound like New Testament faith to some of us. Doesn't sound like the grace of life in the spirit. No, we're a Bible church, we're Jesus. Church, give me a verse. We live by the word and the spirit, by grace through faith, not the empty traditions of the past. But I would suggest, if we read our scripture, we will find God inviting us to these very things. That the liturgical calendar, these seasons of remembrance, Advent and Lent and all the others, though not something explicitly prescribed by Jesus, may be exactly what we need in our day to help us live our lives in the story of Jesus. And I want to say that again because this, I'm convinced of this. The liturgical calendar, these seasons of remembrance and practice together, Advent and Lent and all the rest, though not something explicitly prescribed by Jesus, may be exactly what we need in our day and in every day to help us live our lives in the story of Jesus. Yes, the Christian calendar is, you could say, the tradition of man and wise Christian women. In the sense that it does not come to us directly from a text. There is no verse in the New Testament that says, and as you pray and learn to fast, make sure you learn about Lent and you practice Advent. There is no text that says that. This is something that God's people down through the centuries have developed. But I wonder, more than that, could God have been in this? Could it not also be something that the Spirit has inspired? And I don't mean by that in the same way that Scripture is inspired and authoritative, but something that God has come alongside and said, yeah, you probably need this. And I say that because this is what we find in the stories of Scripture. Think with me about this. Think with me about the journey we've just had this fall in Genesis 1 to 11. What is the first thing in the biblical story to be declared holy by God? right. Some of you whispered it. Thank you for whispering it. What is the first thing in Genesis that is declared holy by God? I'm going to quote Abraham Heschel here, one of the great Jewish theologians of the last century, who asked the same question. He wrote, what was the first holy object in the history of the world? Was it a mountain? Was it an altar? It is indeed a unique occasion at which the distinguished word kadosh Holy is used for the first time in the Hebrew scriptures in the book of Genesis at the end of the story of creation. What is the reference? Genesis 2 verse 3. Then God blessed what? He blessed the seventh day and made it holy before any person was declared holy. 
before any place was declared holy. God declared a particular day. More than that, God made a particular day to be holy. A Sabbath, a day, a time, holy time. Now, many books have been written on this, but I want to simply acknowledge that from the beginning of time, one of the ways that God has purposed to sanctify us to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus, is to lead us into the grace of holy time, which might seem like an unfamiliar idea for evangelicals, Bible Christians, Jesus Christians like us, but I would suggest that this is not actually that unfamiliar because it is something we learn from God in Scripture at so many points. In truth, it's actually something we see in the life of Jesus, which we referenced a bunch this summer in our Steadfast Song series. I'll come to that in a minute. In particular, we encounter this in the Exodus story. At the climax of God's rescue of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, what does God do in the wake of? No, at the climax, in the midst of God's rescuing the, the Israelites from Egypt, what does God do? God institutes the Passover. Exodus 12. God doesn't just rescue them, though thank God he does. But in his act of rescuing, on the day of God's planned act of rescue of his people, from the oppression and idolatry of Egypt, God institutes an annual feast. A holy feast. It's surprising. Right in the middle of the act, instead of just months later, hey, remember that moment? We should probably remember that. In the very act, in the days leading up to the moment of God's rescue, God says, I am giving you a meal that you will keep every year. Meaning you have a future far beyond this moment. But I'm giving you a meal that will pull you back to this story again and again and again. That you will celebrate every year, starting on the 10th day of the first month. Why? So that the Israelites would always remember so that through this annual feast, this season of remembrance, they would never forget, they would always remember what Yahweh, their holy God, had done for them and what this means, meant and means about who their God is and who they are as God's people. No matter what the coming years would bring, no matter where they would find themselves, no matter if their temple was destroyed and they were sent far off, this feast marked into the rhythm of their annual national shared calendar would help them remember and be shaped by this remembrance, tethering them to the grace of God, his saving action in the past and his saving action in the future. We've talked about this once before, but I think it's worth coming back to that Advent tethers us. I think you can jump to the next slide. Amen. Thank you. Advent tethers us. How life often gets consuming and understandably so. And in the press of it, we get absorbed in the moment and we kind of go slack. Increasingly losing our grip on or our awareness of how our lives are part of a story. 
how our lives are bound to God's ongoing and eternal action, the saving action of God in the past, the saving action of God in the future. And we increasingly find ourselves feeling and thinking, as I've already said, that this is all there is, this is all there ever was, this is all there ever will be. And we find ourselves discouraged, we found ourselves slack, we find ourselves stuck. And then the grace of God, in the wisdom of God, Advent comes along seeking to tether us again to the saving action of God in the past and in the present. And we find ourselves pulled up to attentive faith again, pulled up in the tension, the glorious tension of God's saving action in the past to God's saving action in the future to know that it runs right through the present. We find ourselves pulled up to a place of expectancy again, pulled up to a place of eager hope again, that the story isn't over, that God is still at work, and we're not just lost in this moment. No, we're part of a story that God is still unfolding. This is what God did for the Israelites, not just in the Exodus, but in the Passover, in giving them this meal that wherever they were over all the years would pull them back again to find themselves standing in this story, pulled to attention with who their God not just was and will be, but is. And if we continue in Israel's story, we discover God in his wisdom, his wise love, inviting the Israelites again and again to order their lives, order their lives around not just a rhythm of Passover, but a whole series of feasts built into the architecture of the year. A rhythm of holy feasts, each reminding them of another part of God's saving action in the past and what it means for them, and each renewing in them a confidence that the story isn't over, that God is still here, he's still at work. Do you see the grace of this? Do you see the wisdom of this? The necessity of it? A life ordered and formed by a rhythm of holy seasons, holy feasts marked into their calendar that would year after year remind them of who their God is and what he has done and what he is still to do. Can you think of a people in the world who need a reminder? You think of the story of Israel and all that went on, all the places they found themselves. Did they not need a reminder again and again? A liturgical notification to start dinging and not just for a moment but for seasons for days on end and not just for them in isolation but a community the whole community coming together and recounting these stories of who their God is and what their God has done and that's part of it it's not just about remembrance it's remembrance that fuels anticipation uh, someone years ago introduced me to the insight that the word remembrance means to bring back our members, to bring us back together, to make us whole again. Remembrance isn't just an act of the past. It's something that does something to us in the present. It has a, a way of restoring us to who we were made to be and making us attentive to God in the present. So let me ask you, do you really think that your life with God is so different that you don't need these kinds of seasons? Do we really think that our life with God today is so different that we no longer need these seasons, these rhythms of remembrance? I think we do. 
I do. I have needed Advent over the last 20 years of my life again and again. Which is what the Lord's Supper is all about, right? As Christians, this is what the Lord's Supper is all about and why Jesus instructs us to take it often because we are so prone to forget. Prone to forget what God has done and what this says about who God is and who we are. And so as Christians, we do this. This isn't just a Jewish thing, an ancient Israelite thing, an Old Testament thing, an Old Covenant thing. This is gospel. Jesus gives us rhythms of remembrance inviting us to, ha- to allow our lives to be shaped by the life of Jesus. That's what the Christian calendar is about. Focus not primarily on what God did for Israel in the Old Testament, but what God has done for us in Jesus, in his life and his death, in his, sorry, his birth, his life, his ministry, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his giving of the Spirit. That's what the liturgical calendar does. Now, I, I suspect some of you, woke up this morning and were like, oh man, give me a teaching on the liturgical calendar. Probably not, right? And yet, there is grace here. There is grace here. There's life here because we are invited to not just be a people who move with the cultural rhythms and calendars of, okay, what's next? Um, Boxing Day, um, Family Day, uh, Valentine's Day, Sister Day, Brother Day, Cousin Day, Twins Day, whatever Instagram tells you, right? But also, not just Christmas and Easter, but the liturgical calendar invites us into the whole of Jesus' life, his birth, his life, his ministry, his teaching, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the Father, his giving of the Holy Spirit. As a pastoral colleague of mine, years ago when I lived in Saskatoon, said to me one day as we approached Advent, she said, the liturgical year invites us to walk with Jesus through all the details of his life. And in this to know Jesus walking with us through all the details of our lives. Yea, Laurel Smith. And as as another Canadian pastor has written, the intention in following this calendar is to mark our time with Jesus, taking our lives and placing them in the story of Jesus, allowing the shape and rhythm of his life to shape our life and days, which in truth is just basic Christian discipleship, ordering our lives after the life of Jesus, tethering our lives to the life of Jesus. Is this not what we need? It is what I need. So where does it start? It starts today. Happy liturgical New Year, friends. It's Advent, truly. I have a, I wonder if it's in there. Mm. No, I thought I saw Siobhan holding it last night. I have a a wonderful uh, daily scripture and prayer guide. And I found myself this morning having to flip back to page one because today is the beginning of the new year in the liturgical sense, the beginning of the season of Advent. Many of you know, Advent is a Latin word that means coming or arrival, which is what Advent is all about. It's a season of looking back and looking forward to the coming, the arrival, the inbreaking of God in history, in the world, for the world. And in it, we invite to look back 
So the first advent of Christ, the incarnation, inaugurating God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and all that that means, but equally so, and according to the church down through the centuries, for the vast majority of Christian history prior to maybe the last 40 years, depending on where you are, the primary focus of Advent has actually been forward to the ultimate final coming of Christ to bring the wholeness of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Many historians of Advent would regard Advent not primarily as a time of warm, blissful singing, but a time of apocalyptic longing for all of God's kingdom to come in its fullness. Another season, we'll dive into Revelation and unpack the beauty of that. Maybe in the new year, we'll dive into the Gospels and unpack some of the beauty of that. But Advent invites us to grab hold of or be caught by these two advents. And in the process, to be invited into the response of honest faith in this moment. And this is why I think we so, as a church today, as, the, as an evangelical church, a church committed to Jesus and to scripture, that hasn't always lived alive in traditions, in our day, in this culture, in an Instagram world, we need Advent because of this invitation to be honest, to honest faith, to be honest with ourselves and with one another and with the watching world and even with God. Honest about the joy and the pain, both the joy and the pain of life with God in our day. Honest about the already and the not yet. I found myself thinking this week about the song, O Come All Ye Faithful, which we almost sang this morning, and I'm glad we didn't, because I'd almost love to, like, stop. And sometimes you need to, like, pull a word out of a song to make it true. And I, that song is beautiful. We have, we've done this over the years. We've had a few Advent series where we took an Advent carol or Christmas carols, and we dug into their story and the scriptural roots behind them and the story of the person that wrote them. And last year, we took a Sunday with the song, um, oh, Oh, you should always have these things written down. God rest ye merry gentlemen, which most of us, there's tension there. And we dug into it and realized in the, in the, the history of when that was written in England, the words, God rest ye merry gentlemen, and the rest of the story of the song was a song written by peasants in a time of oppression where peasants had no power and that the words, God rest ye, meant May God give you peace. And Mary Gentleman was not a statement about status. It was a statement to brothers in poverty. And really, we could sing the words, God make you strong, O weary ones. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ the Savior was born on Christmas Day. It's a beautiful song. When you understand that first line is not just written to Mary Gentleman. <laughs> You're privileged and may you have more privilege. That is not what the song is saying. And similarly, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, I wish that last word said joyful and exhausted. Because that's the Advent declaration. We are invited to be honest about both the joy and the pain of the already and the not yet. O come all ye faithful, joyful and heartbroken. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Honest about the joy and the pain of life with God in our day. Honest about the already and the not yet. 
The reality that in Christ, God has come to us. God is now with us by his spirit. And the days of saving grace are here now. Can I hear an amen, Clayton Dugan? Amen. Jesus has come. Jesus has come. In his death, he has conquered sin and the grave and the curse. Forgiveness is open to all in Christ today. The gift of the Spirit is available to everyone who will bow to Jesus in faith. Repentance and new life can happen today. It's happening among us because Jesus is Lord. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, in the ascension of Jesus, God has come as he has promised and the kingdom of God is at hand. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We are invited to sing in Advent and we must. And yet, in the midst of this, Advent also invites us to the honesty of acknowledging that all is not yet redeemed, made whole by Jesus that we who follow Jesus continually play, pray as Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because at present, not all things are the Father's will. The kingdom has not come in its fullness. So much on earth, so much in us, dare I say, even you, is not yet as it is in heaven, Right? And Advent invites us to be honest about this. To be honest about all that is still incredibly broken in the world and in us. All the idolatry that still dominates our world and our lives and the sin, oppression, and suffering that is too often feels like the loudest story. Which is why we need Advent, just like the Israelites needed the Passover, because it tells us again where we are in the story. That this is not all that is all that has been, all that will be. It reminds us or simply declares to us if we didn't know that the story of God's redeeming work in the world is not over. It's not finished. Advent invites us to not lose heart or to pretend that it's all good. It invites us to an honest faith, giving us permission to both sing and to groan. If you walk away with nothing, I hope you walk away with this. Advent invites you to both sing joy to the world and to groan, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. To celebrate the grace of God that is already ours in Christ and to cry out for God's kingdom come. To say with the church, not just come Christmas day and presence, but come Lord Jesus. That is the Advent cry. And not just for ourselves, but for the world, right? Which is why we have this tradition at Lambrick of an Advent project to contribute to together as a way of reminding ourselves and living into the reality that Advent is not just about us, it's about the world. And so this year, as we saw from Sergei on the screen, our missional engagement team, thank you to you, also known as the MET, if you ever wonder what we, we mean when we say MET, missional engagement team, have led us, invited us to give our Advent giving to these beautiful, gospel, humble, honest people in Moldova, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are living in a world that is where God is inbreaking, where the gospel is being experienced by women and men and children, and yet there's also so much, or in the midst of it, so much suffering. And they're putting on 
a camp for single moms, yay. And a camp for kids, summer camp, day camps, for neighbors and refugees, for families and parents and children suffering in one of Europe's most impoverished nations and all these refugees who've come with the ache of an invasion. And I mention this right now because that's what Avon is about. It's not just about us. It's about the world. God's heart for the whole world to experience his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? Friends, it is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? I think so. So let me be the first to say, maybe, or maybe your uh, social media feed already said it, welcome to Advent. It is good to have you. I'm so glad we're here together. I mean that. And I hope as you reflect on the stories that are familiar in this season, as you maybe come to the Christmas play tonight, or you think about last night, or you engage with other Christmas stories about the coming of God in the incarnation, you will let this lead you not towards just, oh, that's so sweet, but thank you, God, and come, come, Lord Jesus. Let it stir in you hope and longing. So let me just ask you as I close, in what way do you need Advent this year? Are there ways that you have lost sight of what God has actually done? Is it just a fictional story worth telling kids? Are there ways that you have lost sight of what God has actually done for the world, including you? Are there ways that you have lost sight of the promise of what is, is, is still to come? Are you tempted to lose heart and give, give up in the present? Let's pray. Living God, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for your wise love, your knowing us and how we work and how we get caught up and distracted and find ourselves losing touch with what you have done and what you will do. And so we just come before you, we pray for, we bow before you for ourselves and ask that you would pull us into the gift of this season. These songs, these stories, these practices, that you would cause them and you would lead us to embrace them as ways in which we would be pulled into the tension of honest faith again and the tension that, that stirs hope and expectation. Lord, our remembrance of the past would make us even frustrated in a way that would fuel a holy hunger for more of your kingdom today on earth as it is in heaven and would loosen our shackles to this, to the things that capture our hope. We would be, have gratitude, God, for the gifts of your grace, but we would know our hope to be in you above all. Lord, we lift up ourselves and one another to you. The women and men sitting around us right now who are in places of overwhelm, who are uh, absorbed, lost in this moment, and who are afraid, maybe without even realizing it, 
that this is all there is and this is all there is and this is all there is. God, we ask that in this season of Advent, you would cause our shared remembrance of these stories and of your promise to stir us with hope, eager hope for your kingdom come, Lord. Teach us to live with honest faith, to not be afraid to say we're so thankful while also saying, and for this we pray and long and ache. We thank you, God, for your gift, your invitation to us. Thank you that you are our true hope. Amen.